0: Welcome back to uh, Talk to Science and our third episode of Must Discuss, where we open up a discussion about the most pressing questions in science. What is the human machine? Today we must discuss minds and machines. I'm Nicoline and today I'm doing the interview with Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hello. And uh, well, not only is it the first time that Nikki and I do the Must Discuss toge- together, also it is the first time that we have an especially created playlist by Mulo. If you're listening Willow, thank you. Uh, And as always, we will put the tracklist in the description, so uh, if you are interested, you can check it out later. What is the human machine? Um, So yeah, today we will talk about the essential characteristics of human intelligence, and to what extent artificial intelligence can mimic human intelligence. The media have covered uh, many of the recent achievements of artificial intelligence. There are like chess computers that can beat humans and there's Sophia the robot that has been granted actual citizenship. Uh, And it's often assumed that artificial intelligence has achieved its success by virtue of its brain-like computation and therefore its ability to imitate human cognition. Well in this episode we want to examine what it means for a machine to think like a person and whether that is ultimately possible. So um, we have two students as our guests today, with whom we will enter the discussion. We have uh, Nienke Boita, Nienke, hi, welcome, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm fine, thanks. It's nice to be here.
0: Yes, nice to have you here. You have a very broad background, having finished both a bachelor in philosophy and in biomedical sciences, with a specialization in uh, neurobiology. And currently you're doing the Master Brain and Cognitive Sciences at the Uva, um, where you focus on computer models of the brain. Can you tell us, Nienke, what uh, what is it about the human brain that attracts you so much?
1: Uh, yeah, so that's quite a personal question. Um, I've always been interested in uh, why people behave the, the way they do. Um, and I've always felt that a lot of people behave very irrationally. And I was just curious why, <laughs> um, what drives people. Um, that's more of the, the social side that I find interesting. Um, And then I also find the the brain as an organ, as sort of a biological mass, really cool. It just looks cool. It makes me very happy. One of my happiest memories is holding one in an anatomy lab, (laughs) Um, and I feel like the brain is also very, uh, one of the central hubs in which um, we, um, in which our relationship to the world, to ourselves and other people is established.
0: Okay, (laughs) nice. I think it's funny that your (laughs) happiest memory is holding a brain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What does that say about me? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, and uh, we have David Knigge. Uh, Hi David, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fine, thank you. So you are uh, studying artificial intelligence, also at the University of Amsterdam. And you told us that you are currently writing your thesis, in which you try to build an artificial intelligence system uh, that can recognize pictures. Um, And a current problem is that if the pictures are rotated, um, then it cannot recognize them anymore. And then you told us that to solve this problem, you use the human brain as an inspiration. Uh, Can you very shortly explain um, how the human brain solves this problem and how you use this information for solving this problem? Yeah,
2: yeah, of course, yeah. So essentially, the brain organizes features in in the visual field of the eyes based on position but also based on orientation and based on this orientation information it's able to process information at any rotational angle let's say and basically the model that I'm working on kind of does the same so it also um, builds a representation that not only takes in positional information so where something is in the visual field but also at what orientation uh, that feature is
3: basically okay interesting thank you and um yeah to start uh, the conversation maybe we can um, start a bit with uh, trying to understand what artificial intelligence really is um so david maybe you could tell us like what would you say uh, when would you say that a machine has artificial intelligence like what do we mean by artificial intelligence
2: yeah so that's us uh, start off a very hard question of course so um there's a lot of opinions on this and i i always like the um so Alan turing is kind of the godfather of ai he came up with this the turing test and it's basically the idea is that if a machine is able to complete this test then we could classify it as having human intelligence the idea is to basically have uh, one computer in one room a person in the other room and a third person who asks questions to either the computer or the person and if the person asking the questions is not able to differentiate between the two then um, you could say that the machine has uh, artificial intelligence so I yeah I kind of I do like that um, uh, that view I guess but it's still so there have been a lot of uh, like counter uh, arguments to this Turing test um, basically saying that well maybe the machine is able to process all the questions and generate answers but how will we know whether it actually has actual understanding like a human does and i mean that's a that's of course a very hard question but um i think i always like the view that as soon as we have a machine that can behave just like a human then why not call it intelligent
3: okay so you wouldn't mind that we maybe don't know if it really understands what it's saying or that has emotions or something? Yeah.
2: So, so Alan Turing actually he also thought about this, and he um, I, I think it's pretty funny what he said. He said something like, um, "It's generally not polite to not assume that other people aren't thinking either." So we generally, out of politeness, assume that every person who behaves intelligently also thinks, so it's also also is intelligent. So why not do the same for machines?
3: Yeah. Okay, interesting yeah, I think we will later be able to discuss it more, like whether we think it's required for uh, artificial intelligence, um but n- for now, I have another question so um, when like you study artificial intelligence and uh do you notice that uh, when people develop um yeah AI basically do they to what extent do they look at the human brain for inspiration?
2: Yeah, so I would personally say they don't look at the human brain enough. Um, there have been very clear examples of um, models that explicitly use the human brain for inspiration that have been very successful so for example the type of model that I'm working on um, one other aspect of the human brain that it uses is that the human um, visual processing system is built up very hierarchical so uh, you basically in the brain start by processing very low level features so like edges and uh, so, l- lines basically transitions in brightness and uh, blobs. And you, at the first level, you only, your brain only recognizes these very low level structures. And then in the next level, it combines these structures. And then the next level, it combines. And you build up these complex features out of low level structures. And uh, while well the models that I'm working on work exactly the same way. So, you have um, a bunch of layers where each layer builds on. The output of the previous layer, where the first layer starts with very low-level information, and it gradually gets combined throughout the network, until you have something that can uh, recognize uh, a dog, for example.
3: Yeah, that's funny. So, but it, I guess it's interesting that we don't normally notice that, like when we experience, like it's not like we look at tiny pixels and then combine them actively together, but I guess it happens like unconsciously.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. So the brain. So the brain just does this all automatically yeah but um, well there is this or at least that's a theory of course uh, the brain isn't fully understood yet I think but one theory says that the brain processes visual information strictly hierarchically yeah. so yeah, yeah.
3: and um, is it also true that in general uh, AI that um, is developed that is uh, which is inspired by the human brain um, that it that it is preferred over AI that is not inspired by it
2: Um, personally I do prefer it that's just because then you have some kind of motivation for it basically so I sometimes feel like artificial intelligence is very well engineering focused what I mean by that is that um, people that study artificial intelligence or developers that use artificial intelligence are often very focused on getting good results so they'll try any Thing that intuitively seems like it might do something and sometimes they just randomly try stuff and very often it's it's not quite clear why certain things work so well basically and then we still use them and i mean it's it doesn't feel right to me to just uh, try a bunch of stuff and basically kind of ignore the, the millions and millions of years of evolution that have gone into the human brain. That's that's basically how I see it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's
3: more interesting if there is like a theoretical explanation of why it works well.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how I feel.
3: And, um, okay, so then, uh, Nienke, maybe we can ask you some stuff about uh, the other side of uh, our topic today, which is uh, the study of the human mind, basically independently. Um, But you told us that you uh, also use uh, computational models to study the mind. Um, And well, my first question is what is a computational model?
1: Uh, Yeah, so you can see a computational model basically as a formal explanation um, for the system you'd like to study. So for example, if you'd like to study perception, um, what you do when you build a computational model is identify the key components of that system and define how they uh, relate to each other. And you could do that by um, sketching out mathematical formulas to describe that relationship. Um, So what you need, basically, is the variables, uh, and then you have sort of parameter values which modulate how much effect the variables have, um, and you formally describe uh, the system that you're studying. And the useful thing about this is that it... um, it very clearly uh, presents an explanation. So you try to omit the vagueness that a sort of verbal theory might bring into the equation. Um, And at the same time, you can perform experiments uh, using your computational model. So you can basically test um, your theory on what's going on um, in the computer in silico.
3: Okay, and so does the computational model sort of assume that um, the mind does kind of work like a computer so that you kind of have this step by step formulation formal formulation of what it does when it gets certain input and yeah basically does does it assume that the mind works like a computer yes
1: yeah, so i think different scientists would give a different answer to this question uh, i personally come from a very um pragmatic stream in which you look at uh, modeling, computational modeling as concep- a conceptual tool to clarify your basic assumptions and just provide one perspective on what's going on. So the people I work with, they're not necessarily committed to sort of the, that, that these are the components that the, bra- that the brain has uh, has as well um, and that the brain is reducible to these computations that you describe or they yeah, or the cognitive process that you describe. Um, there is this underlying assumption that you can uh, describe cognitive processes as um, processes of um, of information processing. Um, I think that's the, that's the key assumption here.
0: Yeah, indeed, because you uh, said you you pick up a component and you make a mathematical expression out of it. So that's, I guess, what you mean, that you can form every component of the brain into mathematical expression is that what you mean
1: um yeah it does it does assume that you can um yeah that you can formalize what's going on in these mathematical mathematical formulas
0: so yeah the last few years artificial intelligence has made exceptional progress but still uh, it's not yet on the same level as human intelligence and um, yeah we want to discuss some challenges for artificial intelligence uh, one of which is consciousness um yeah Ninka, what is consciousness according to you
1: that's a very hard question um so we we do have some common sense notion of consciousness, and there are a lot of different cognitive processes that are associated with what we would call consciousness. Um, So one of them is um, the ability to experience, uh, and you'd call that phenomenological consciousness. Um, Then you also have self-awareness, the awareness that um, you exist as an independent being and you're also to tell other people about it. That's also something we associate with consciousness. Um, what kind of underlying uh, processes are involved? That's still uh, a huge question of debate. Um, so some people would say there is um, a hard problem of consciousness, so there's this explan- explanatory gap between um, the ability to experience and possible underlying uh, neuronal structures uh, one cannot arise out of the other or at least there is this challenge for neuroscientists to explain how one arises out of the other. Um, personally I'd say that um, I I'd, I'd m- most like the explanation that says that consciousness is a property of networks and a property of a certain um, or a certain kind of information exchange within a network. Um, but and what kind of property then? <laughs> or is it? Um, yeah, I think that's too complex to okay. explain here. Because yeah. it, for example, you have information integration theory, mm-hmm. which uh, gives a certain formula with which you could quantify that network property. So what you're basically looking at is um, you represent uh, the brain as a connection between different regions or different, very small or larger regions as a network in which information is exchanged. And based on the shape of that network, you can say, okay, information is exchanged in a very special way. uh, And that special way is what comes back in all kinds of biological systems. Um, and not in artificial intelligence, as we have it now. That would be one controversial view of consciousness at the moment. Um, You could also say that uh, consciousness arises when uh, all the the different streams of information from uh, from your different senses, sight, uh, hearing, smell, when they all come together somewhere in the brain, when they're all integrated into one whole. Um, and there's also a lot of research on that where this, inform- uh, this information integration takes place. You could also call that um, sort of the mechanism that underlies consciousness.
0: And then do you think according to uh, well, the view you find most likely that it is a property of the network, um, you said uh, right now artificial intelligence doesn't have it, uh, do you think it will ultimately be possible or is it something really special about the brain that yeah, that's machines cannot mimic
1: um, the short
0: answer is I don't know, uh, the longer answer
1: is that um, it might be the case that only biological systems have that property uh, and have those um, mechanic characteristics or the, the kind of information flow that you would need um, which you cannot build in artificial systems. That might be the case.
3: Can I ask one thing? So, when you talked about like this uh, this property that the neural networks would have, um, is that would that then explain, uh, or would that be that thing that we think is kind of this? You also refer to like the phenomenolo- phenomenological uh, aspect, like this experience of b- there being some subjective. Um, I like this this subject in us that is experiencing everything like is that what this property would be or would emulate or like how, how would you maybe ex- uh, describe consciousness just intuitively like how would, wha- how would you s- describe that
1: um, yeah so the p- one of the problems uh, I also run into when trying to ask, answer this question is that our common sense notion of consciousness is very rich And we also um, have our human-like conscious experience as a starting point. So what we call experience is already uh, shaped by uh, what we as humans experience and how we communicate that to each other. Um, If you talk about uh, a certain type of information integration, that's of course further away from what you would call human-like consciousness and might also just be um, a property of uh, information exchanging systems in general. Uh, so then, then you'd stretch out sort of the our a notion of consciousness uh, to include a lot of other biological systems as well. And it would not, I think what you would call consciousness then, would not be human-like consciousness. Um, I think if you look at human-like consciousness, that that aspect of self-awareness might be especially important.
0: And uh, David, what do you think about about this? Uh, Because you mentioned earlier the Turing test, and then uh, we actually already talked about understanding, which is maybe not exactly the same thing as consciousness, but it definitely seems kind of related. Do you think, well, firstly, that it is necessary at all to talk about consciousness uh, for to call machine intelligent? Yeah,
2: so I do think it's important to talk about consciousness because I think it's something uniquely human and it's something that is very connected to our intelligence, I think. The fact that we are conscious and that we are able to, well, uh, have subjective experiences, basically. Um, But, well, I the view that I always like is... Uh, you just mentioned that it might be possible that consciousness is something that only biological sy- systems may generate, or may, uh, or consciousness may only arise from biological systems, but I always like to take the view that uh, even in biological systems there are some laws that underpin these systems, and I think that eventually we'll come to understand these laws and as soon as we understand them we can build a model using these laws and then we would in theory be able to simulate a mind and um, I don't know, you, you would have a machine that is may- maybe processes information exactly the sa- in the same way as the human mind would and I don't see the the separating line then anymore I think
0: and what do you both think about then this argument that we had earlier, like it would be actually impolite to um, We said it would be impolite if the not to say that the that the human understands what we're saying Well, in the same way you can say would not be polite to say that this machine doesn't understand it. And again, in the same way, I think we could say it would also be not polite if we have a say we have a robot that just does anything similar to what we do. Would it be polite to assume that it doesn't have consciousness? I mean, how do we know whether it has it?
1: Yeah, I think that um, looking at the behavior of another person and if if we would call that intelligent behavior is a a very important sort of first detection mechanism for consciousness or for intelligence. So the Turing test is um, a good test in the sense that uh, if if a robot would behave Uh, like a human we have a good reason to assume that they also think uh, like a human at the same time we also have um, a lot of other ways in neuroscience to see whether someone is uh, conscious or aware so if you look for example at the the medical setting uh, we're currently um, developing technologies with which to look at the brains of people with locked-in syndrome and trying to translate from their brain signals whether they're aware of or reacting to what we're saying um, in that case the behavior doesn't say anything about their, their state um, But because, because we have these um, new ways of measuring uh, things we associate with consciousness um, we can actually look inside someone's brain um, and I think that's uh, that shows us that we cannot only look at behavior. Um, so in, in the case some something or someone does not behave in the same way as we'd expect, they could still be conscious. Um, but that might necessar- not necessarily be-, be the other way around. If someone behaves like an intelligent and conscious being, we, we, are, we can safely assume that they are <laughs> intelligent as well.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you then also think that... Um, if eventually we find out that everything in that happens in the brain is governed by physics and by chemistry, do you think it it would be possible to simulate, using these laws, simulate a brain exactly like a human brain? Would that brain then be conscious?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I, I do have a mechanistic worldview, and I also think that if you understand all the underlying physical and chemical processes of the brain, um, you could implement those rules. Uh, in a What is
3: a mechanistic worldview? Uh,
1: yeah, how do you explain that? <laughs> uh, that's good. Qu- that's a good question. Um, uh, it's it's basi- basically that you. Um, it's yeah. It's basically the the current uh, the current scientific worldview that you see that you're materialistic you see ev- everything as a material substance uh, and try to uh, describe uh, different processes at different um, levels of interpretation um, yeah in terms of terms of their components and uh the mechanisms underlying mechanisms okay i'm not is sure if i'm giving a good interpretation. yeah, so no, yeah. it's ba- <laughs> it
2: basically the idea that th- everything is physical and yeah. there's nothing except the physical basically so That's, everything yeah. eventually is governed by certain laws and there's no well maybe this is the wrong word but there's not something like a soul or something is Yeah
1: that, I'll still say that there is a soul, a soul. It's just not what you'd expect it to be. Okay yeah.
2: <laughs> but then the soul would be something physical yeah, in the end. Yeah. Okay
1: yeah yeah
0: cool. Yeah. You were you were saying something uh, before uh, yeah, you what was I this? saying? <laughs> oh, sorry, I interrupted.
2: <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I asked about um, whether you thought consciousness would arise in a system that we s- would simulate using all the laws that we've learned. The human brain operates on.
1: Yeah, so I do believe that everything that if you uh, get to sort of the, the uh, core of all the physical and chemical processes and you describe them um that you could model the brain perfectly i just um don't know that some of th- whether some of these rules are dependent um on uh are dependent on the substrate so whether some of the laws governing what's going on in the pra- brain are also dependent on uh, on our uh carbon-based molecular structure right,
2: right yeah so there's this view I believe it's called embodied cognition. Is, is that kind of what you're talking about? So I believe embodied cognition assumes or, or states that human intelligence and consciousness arises only, not only from the brain, but also from the fact that we have, as humans, a body, a way to interact with the world. Is that kind of the view that you're taking?
1: Yeah, I think that's another point, but that's okay. also a view I hold, that you can't... Um, that one of the main functions of the brain is also regulating a body and regulating a body's relationship to the world. Um, so if you want to, um, to create, that, that you can't um, create a mind by just simulating the brain, you have to create a mind by simulating a, an agent, which is also embodied, right, as you yeah, said. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, but then, <laughs> last question. Then if we were to simulate the entire body, basically, if we were to build a robot, which was just identical to, like, a, a human body, um, the only difference being, we now have electrical signals instead of chemical processes, would that robot, you think, be conscious? Is there something fundamental missing there, then, do you think?
1: Um... Depends on what the how those electrical signals are transferred. Um, I'd say that there is there are lots of these, um, a lot of different things going on in the brain. For example, there there is this sort of biological maintenance. You have these these immune cells uh, repairing stuff. Um, Causing impl- inflammation and whatnot. Uh, you have these all all these cellul- cellular processes, and you you could say, okay, all these processes are um, are not essential for for the information transfer, but then still uh, might inf- influence how the inf- information is transferred, and they might even be essential um, for our our very specific type of consciousness or or a very specific type of intelligence so uh, because i lack knowledge about because we we know so little about what the um necessary conditions are for consciousness to arise um i'm just not sure if if the devil is not in the details
2: right
4: okay
0: Well, these are some nice uh, different views on consciousness Um, so um, yeah maybe we can talk about uh, another another topic uh, or property of the brain namely creativity Um, yeah because very broadly creativity is about creating something new and then um, if you think about machines I think many people think about something very mechanical mathematical even and well it might raise the question to what extent can create such a system something new to, and more specifically to what extent can such a thing be creative um, well David you told us about uh, an example of creativity uh, creating the AlphaGo computer uh, can you tell us something about this story
2: yeah so anytime someone mentions creativity in AI I always think of this story specifically yeah it's um, so a number of years ago I believe it's 2015 maybe the company DeepMind builds a computer that is able to play the game of go it's an asian very old asian game um where the board is basically it's it's uh, kind of similar to chess board you have lines and the game the idea is you play with two players and one after another you play stones on the board um but the board is the board is quite large and this means that the number of possible moves that you can make at any point is huge so the only rule basically is you have to put a stone somewhere on board so this game is very complex so while the game of chess has already been beaten by ai uh, like 2000 i believe some time around that this game was taught by many people to be just too difficult to solve um, but AlphaGo go uh, was created which is basically a computer that plays the game of go and at first, the creators of Ofgo had Ofgo play against the European GO champion. And surprisingly, uh, Ofgo won in 2015, I believe. But in Asia, they weren't they weren't very impressed because this European GO champion it was only like... It was not a r- that good. No, no it, wasn't, it wasn't. No, that. oh, really, that's, that's what they thought in Asia. Because in, in GO, you have a rating system from uh, one done to nine done. And um, the higher up you go, the better you are, basically. And the European GO champion was only two done, where the world's best players are nine done, of course. So in Asia, they weren't too surprised and they weren't too intimidated. So in 2016, uh, DeepMind challenged Lee Sedol, who is arguably either the best or one of the best GO players in the world. Um, Lee Sedol accepted, and he said, uh, well... I'm probably going to win. Maybe Alphago going to win one, maybe two games... ...if he's, if he's having a good day, basically. Um, so in 2016, the first match starts... ...the first match ends... ...and Lisztor is lost. Um, he's kind of surprised. He thought the way Alphago played in 2015... ...he thought he could beat it. Alphago had been training and training... ...and in 2016 he got a lot better. Then in the second match... Um, they start off slow and around move 36. Listol's getting kinda um, well, he just lost the match, he wasn't expecting to lose, so he goes out for a smoke. And AlphaGo doesn't notice, so AlphaGo just keeps playing, so he places move 37. And as soon as the move is placed on the board, you hear the commentators basically exclaim in surprise um the commentators professional goal players themselves they uh one of them said he thought it was a mistake the other said well oh, it's a very interesting move so Lisadol comes back from his smoke break and he sits down and you literally so there's this documentary on youtube you literally see a jaw drop basically he's flustered he's he doesn't know what to think about his move so afterwards he um he explains I believe its words were something like... um, I thought Avago was based on probability calculation. I thought I was playing against the machine. But as soon as I saw this move, I changed my mind. Um, Surely Avago must be creative. I thought this move was really creative and beautiful. And... Well, I I think that's a a very nice example of AI... um, ...having what we would call creativity. Um, Yeah...
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, I also checked the, the the documentary on YouTube and I think it was very... Um, everyone was so surprised and I think, yeah, they were all first of that they made a mistake because it was such a... I don't know exactly why, but it was something... Yeah. Uh, they thought it was a very bad yeah. move. But yeah. apparently because it was so um, bad that no one would ever do it, then therefore it was super surprising and it really apparently... Uh, yeah, made yeah. Uh, yeah, Lisa so doll confused. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. So the European Go champion also commented on on that move. He also said, "Normally we will never play this move, just be- because it's a bad move. But once you you've seen the move, then you realize that oh, actually it's it's a very it's a very good move. This move actually kind of reinforces everything that happened before. Um, so it was just a move that that humans." Would rarely have considered. So AlphaGo also has this this probability calculation for every move it does. It basically tells uh, how likely it would have been that a, a human professional Go player would have played this move. And well, that move, the probability was like 1 in 10,000, I believe they say, that a professional Go player would have played that move. Um, so yeah, I, I think it also ties into to how I view creativity, which is just that creativity is just a definition for. Um, Creating something uh, that maybe only you could create, but you still base it off your previous experiences, you still base it off something, it still comes from somewhere, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's why I also think that uh, AI definitely can be creative.
3: So, would you also say that, um, like, for example, with art, uh, like, creativity? Basically, well, as some people might understand it, namely as creating something like wholly new, like out of nothing. Uh, um, but I guess that if you say that creativity, um, in a sense, is still caused by uh, previous experiences, then it's not like what people often think it is, for example.
2: Yeah, I, I would, for art, I think you always create something. In the context of your own view on maybe the world or on a certain topic right and this is a view that you've built up built up based on experiences I think so I think anytime you create art you also imbue it with all those experiences experiences that you've had uh, over time I think yeah
0: yeah, and I think that this in this documentary it shows that it's also about doing something unexpected because that is what that computer did. And maybe, uh, well in this case apparently, this computer is even like better than humans at seeing what is super unexpected. And in that sense maybe it can be creative. So, um, yeah, Ninka, I'm wondering what do you think about this? Uh, do you think it's a, an example of creativity?
1: Yeah, so I actually wanted to ask a question about this because you were saying that um, when you're talking about uh, creativity um, y- you said that one thing uh, for you is that some, some bu- somebody or something creates something uh, based on their previous experiences which is unique uh, to them would, would you in the case of AlphaGo talk about experiences or about learning um, can you say that AlphaGo has experienced things
2: I would say so yes so AlphaGo is trained in two ways. Firstly, they um, started off the training by showing, basically, showing it a whole lot of games of Go that professionals have played. So it's it's seen all these games. It's it now knows um, how these professionals play. It's I would see that as AlphaGo has had these experiences with the game of Go, and then in the second stage, AlphaGo was uh, trained using what they call self-play basically it plays against an other iteration of itself and um, that's where it got really good but i still view also the second stage as just experience in the game of go yeah i would say that AlphaGo has experience um yeah yeah
0: Because it basically means that it plays against itself, right? Exactly.
2: Yeah. 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 Yes. Do you do you uh, would you agree with this view?
1: Yeah, I I think you could call it experience, but then experience in a very narrow sense. It has information about how Go is played by other people, and uh, it has sort of played against itself, by which it has uh, it it gathers new knowledge on. on how you could react to certain moves, for example, um, but it's—I th- also think it's a very limited definition of experience because we humans we have a much richer input in information and we learn in a much richer way. So I'm not—I'm not against calling it experience. Um, I'm, I was just interested in how y- you would define experience. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Then my definition of experience would be a lot narrower than your definition. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we use experience and learning very easily when we talk about computers but at the same time it's, it's different. I, I'd say that it might be uh, that, that move might be creative um, in that specific task specific context so you could say this uh, program has had a lot of experience and has sort of um, has, has learned how to uh, solve a certain task and playing go really really well Um, and had also thereby produced uh, strategies that people would not use. Um, which can be very surprising to others, and we would call that creative because it's new, it's unconventional, we can learn something from it. But I mean, we can also do that when talking about evolution. We can also say that evolution uh, created something or a structure that we find surprising and interesting, and we can draw c- or learn something from that strategy. But we would not say that um, evolution is an intelligent agent. Um, so I was just interested in... So how, mm. how do we attribute <laughs> uh, intelligence or intentionality mm. to something? Um, that's why I asked that question about experience as well.
2: Yeah, that, that's a very fair point, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I So AlphaGo, I, I do view it as some kind of agent, I guess. And it, it has a clear... Um, So you mentioned intentionality. It has a very clear goal specified for it, namely it needs to win. And when it wins, it gets, well, basically a positive reward, positive feedback. And I don't know how how you would view this, but I've heard in my studies that this may be somehow um, uh, in the brain, in the human brain, maybe related to how dopamine is secreted when... I don't know. You, for example, might win a game of Go yourself as a human. Um, so I think of Go, we you could call it an agent, but it would, and you could call it creative, but in a very narrow sense indeed. So it's only it's only going to be creative on this very specific task. It's that it has. Well, I, I'm still going to say learned. <laughs> that mm-hmm. it has learned for basically, yeah.
0: Okay, then uh, I think I want to go to the final question. <laughs> um, Namely, uh, yeah, do you think, Nienke, David, um, that whether artificial intelligence can ever reach uh, human intelligence? Who wants to go first?
2: (laughs) I'll go first. Okay, so, uh, yes. (laughs) Very simple. Yeah, so I still hold the view that eventually we'll be able to either model a human brain and the entire human nervous system, or we extract those things that are important for consciousness and for understanding and we are able to implement them um i don't see any currently i don't see any reason to assume that we would not be able to do this if we assume that everything that happens in our body is also governed by physics and chemistry basically
0: and what about you ninka um well
1: I also don't think there is sort of a theoretical hurdle to uh, consciousness and or intelligence being created uh, artificially in the future. But I do see some sort of technical or practical problems. For example, when it comes to um, computational power, our current computers are just not able to perform all the computations that be necessary to to simulate a whole human brain. Um, But I mean, if you look at sort of the development of... Uh, of our computers that might be solved in the future. I'm not sure.
0: And do you think uh, one of the things that we discussed just now, like we uh, con- consciousness, creativity, and uh, general artificial intelligence, do you think one of these is specifically hard?
1: All of them are. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, we picked them for a reason, <laughs> of course. I think they're all very hard. Mm-hmm. I think do think maybe that they're all maybe very related as well so once you are able to simulate consciousness you by definition i think have now also uh, made a way to create experiences i think which i believe uh, shape creativity for example as well so I maybe they're all the same thing mm-hmm. in the end
0: Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. (laughs) Maybe if we solve one, we have all three. Or not, I don't know if it's actually something we want to achieve. Uh, That's also another debate. (laughs) Okay, well, I think... Yes, we do. Yeah, we do? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, uh, um, yeah, this brings us, I think, to to an ending of this episode where we uh, talked about whether uh, artificial intelligence can have uh, some of the... uh, essential characteristics of the human mind, like uh, consciousness and creativity. Uh, It was very interesting uh, to hear your thoughts on this uh, topic. So uh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
4: Thanks for
0: having me. And thank you, Nikki, also. (laughs) Yes, it was very nice to have you all here. And again, thanks, Mulo, for the music.